to stand before you with all sense of reverence, recognizing that every time that we are here, we are called to do a task that in, of our, in and of ourselves we can't accomplish. It is his spirit at work in us. The disciples could not go and minister without waiting. They were given an instruction to wait. And for that, we honor the Father. Because he is the one that is, by the grace of God, going to minister to us. Amen. I honor our pastor, the Father in the Lord, for the grace and the permission that he has given for us to minister the word. You know, if he doesn't give permission, <laughs> we also would be receiving the word. It's a blessing to receive the word. But the Bible does say it is more blessed to do what? To be one who is used to give. Amen. For that, we are grateful. I also honor the leadership of the church. And I honor you. Turn to your neighbor and say, the blessing of the Lord is upon you. The blessing of the Lord is upon you. I'm glad you are my brother. I'm glad you are my sister. If the person is not happy, turn to someone else and say, I'm glad she is my brother. I'm glad he is my... <laughs> Amen. Amen. God is good. And all the time, God is faithful. So, since the beginning of the year, we've been going through the Lord's Prayer. Understanding what it means to really approach the Lord. The way the Lord taught us how to. It is one thing to approach the Lord the way you want to. And it is another to approach the Lord the way he, he taught us how to. And that is why there is a focus on this church for this particular season. To learn what the Lord wants us to do the way he wants us to do it. Amen. So right now today, by God's grace, we are going to be moving on to a new topic, a new series, which is Behold the King. Behold the King. A kingdom-minded people. What is the importance of the kingdom? What is the importance of the kingdom? You see, when, when, when given this topic, I had to sit down and wonder, Lord, where do you want this to come from? Then I heard that we have to understand that for you to have a kingdom mind, a kingdom mindset, you have to understand that you have to have the mind of Christ. The kingdom mindset is simply the mind of Christ. So this topic is a subtopic in itself. Attaining the mind of Christ. Amen. Attaining the mind of Christ. You see, when Jesus came, the number one thing he taught was the kingdom. Whenever he moved around, whenever he stepped into a town, he always spoke about the kingdom. And then he would liken the kingdom 
to different things that they were accustomed to. He would tell them the kingdom is like a man that went and he cast his net into a sea. And then it caught many fishes. Or then he'd go and say, a farmer went around sowing different seeds. And then he would say, he would liken, in the interpretation, that seed, the act of seed sowing, to different types of kingdom hearts. When he would speak about the wheat and the weeds, the parable of the wheat and the weeds, he would liken the kingdom of heaven to a field where wheat was sown. And then in the middle of the night, someone comes and sows weeds. He would say the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Though if it is the smallest, the smallest seed, the smallest, it grows into a big tree. He would say the kingdom of God is like living. Living basically is yeast. You apply yeast to a dough. It spreads. It touches every single thing. For those of us that bake, you know that if you want your flour to rise and expand, you have to add yeast. If you don't add yeast and you're expecting to see cake, you see biscuit. <laughs> he then say that the kingdom of God is like treasure, hidden treasure. That is worth everything that a man possesses. That though he searches for that. He, he finds that hidden treasure in a field. He hides it. Goes. Sells everything he has. And then purchases that field. Hidden treasure. He then go and say, the kingdom of God is like a priceless pearl. That is worth the man's inheritance. So costly that he will sell everything that he has just to purchase that pearl. The kingdom. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. When you summarize most of the parables, because that's not all, you see that the kingdom of God has different types of hearts. Different types of people. The kingdom of God Grows in stature and greatness. The kingdom of God will always grow in influence. Just as yeast penetrates the dough, the flour. The kingdom of God is hidden. It's invisible. Cannot be touched with your physical senses. So you cannot say you are going to, with your hands, touch the kingdom of God. And most importantly, it is priceless. Touch your neighbor and say the kingdom is priceless. The kingdom is priceless. It was the number one thing that Jesus taught about. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God. That is why he said, since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, but the violence take it by force. When the message of the kingdom was preached. You see, the message of the kingdom was so important 
are so vital that even Jesus said, since the days of John the Baptist, now listen to this, that is the reason why he also said that there is no prophet greater, no prophet born of a woman greater than John the Baptist because he went around doing what? Preparing the way for the kingdom. Think about it. A man whom no single miracle was attributed to. Not one. Jesus said he was the greatest of any man born of a woman because he taught the kingdom. He prepared the way for our Lord and Savior. The number one thing that Jesus came to do, his mission on earth, was to open the door for you and I to get where? Into the kingdom. That's why it takes violence. The violence of faith. The violence of faith. On the other hand, on the other hand, you see that the kingdom also has unwanted weeds. You remember I said in the parable of the wheat and the weeds, while the owner of the field was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. Also, in the parable of the net, which I didn't mention, the net caught good fish and bad fish. You can find all this in mostly Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We start from chapter 1 going all the way down to, sorry, verse, verse 1 going all the way down to verse 50. What I'm trying to get at is this. Though the kingdom of God is filled with all these great and mighty things, possesses all these great and mighty properties, you still have some unwanted elements in the kingdom. So, what can we really say is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of light. Number one. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. That light shines in darkness. And darkness comprehends it not. It's a kingdom of light. It's so important to get this. that The first thing that God said when he came. In Genesis chapter 1. When the spirit of God came. He said... Let there be light. Let there be light. It's a kingdom of light. Yes, darkness was upon the face of the deep. First thing, let there be light. And understand this. The light he created had nothing to do with what we see up there. Because I believe it's the third day. The third day, he created what? The sun and the moon. Light beyond what we see. It's a kingdom. Let my kingdom be established here. 
Let there be light. And it was at the moment he created light, he started to allow other things to exist. Because it was the establishment of his kingdom. The second thing is this. It's a kingdom of life. For God so loved the world. I mean, we all know this, John 3, 16. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believed in him might have life. Eternal, everlasting life. It's a kingdom of life. Everything that we can attribute even to the spirit. When we talk about the fruits of the spirit, we talk about uh, love, joy, peace. If you see someone who is gloomy, you say, ah, I'm going to cheer up now. Get some life in you. You see, there's that. I'm sorry. I was about to say something and then I remember the conversation we had with some of my friends. <laughs> I'm being very cautious now. <laughs> I wanted, to, I wanted to say antithesis. So. <laughs> it's an inside joke. <laughs> Not to confuse you, they said no too much grammar. So I'm, I'm being very conscious. But it's a kingdom of life. And the third is this. It's a kingdom of truth. You shall know the truth. And the truth that you know shall set you Free. So for you to enter the freedom that Jesus came to give, it requires a knowledge of the truth. And even the Spirit of God is called the Spirit of Truth. It is all about truth that gets you into the light and the life of God. So it's a kingdom of truth. And then finally, this isn't everything, but I'm just keeping it to four properties. It's a kingdom of glory. A kingdom of glory. Everything that Christ did was to reveal the glory of the Lord. Every single thing that he did was to reveal the glory of God. That is why even when he talks about the spirit of God dwelling in us, he says it is Christ in us that is the hope of glory. Christ in us is the hope of glory. The dwelling place of God. When, when your body becomes the temple, the temple of the living God. When the spirit of God dwells in you in fullness and in, 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 when he overwhelms the capacity of your spirit, your soul, your body. That is when there is a release of the glory of God. It is one thing to be in God. It's another thing for God to fill you in totality. Two different things. If you want to receive, if you want to recognize the glory of God, it is the Lord filling you in totality. Christ in us, the hope of glory. In the book of Acts, when there was a requirement to get people who would serve in the kingdom of God, they asked for people who were Filled with wisdom and filled with the Spirit of God. In other words, it's possible for a Christian, as sad as it is to say, not to be filled.
You might have been snatched out of that place of wickedness. And it's another thing for that wickedness to be snatched out of you. Can we turn over to Philippians chapter 2? Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. We'll read from verse 5 to verse 8. It says this Let this mind be in you, which also, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a burnt servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Amen. So what is this mind, the mind of Christ? What is the mind of Christ? The first thing is this, the mind, this mind does not exploit equality with God. Jesus, equal with God. It didn't say, I am equal with God. Neither did he ever walk around say, guys, worship me. Not once. Equal with God. The mind of Christ. The mind of the kingdom. Everything that Jesus did when he came was to fulfill the heavenly agenda. And that heavenly agenda was that it will be moving per second per second with every instruction that heaven, that heaven dictated. Everything that was required, every single thing that was required on the agenda of heaven was what he accomplished. The first thing, it does not exploit equality with God. The second thing, it leads to the emptying of self of all rights. He had the rights to the resources of heaven at all times, but he only raised his voice at the command. When he received that instruction. Number three. It only desires to serve. Only desires to serve. He came in the form of a servant. Though he was ruler of the world. Number four. It takes the form of those he was sent to. He takes the form. Of those he was sent to. That's why even Paul was able to say to the Jew, I was a Jew. To the Roman, I was a Roman. That's why to us as man, he came in the form of man. He could have, if he wanted to, he could have revealed himself in the glory that he showed Peter, John, James and John 
on the Mount of Transfiguration if he wanted to. Just think about it, the ruler of the world. There were times he had to suffer the humiliation of entering the toilet. Like you and I. That, that's, 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 that's number one humility for every man. <laughs> to know that there is something that needs to come out of you that you don't need. He was humble. He is humble. Do you know what it takes for someone to be creator? To be God? Yet to be brother. He's your brother. The king of eternity. He's your brother. Well, your senior brother. But yet, as I said, don't take that equality for. Don't take that equality for granted. Yet this mind, number five, is humble and obedient, even to the point of death. He only moved as instructed, humble and obedient, to the point of death. One word that totally defines this mind of Christ is a mind that is fully surrendered, fully surrendered, an absolute surrender to the will of the Father. Because he could not do anything without that instruction that was given from above. He said in John chapter 5 verse 19, the son can do nothing by himself. Now think of this. The one who created all things will not wake up to do anything. He will not wake up and say, I am the son of the living God. In fact, it was that, on that very basis, on that very basis, his three temptations came. If you are the son of God, in other words, you have all authority. Use it. It's your power. It's your light. Use it. Flaunt it. And then he'll be like, I can't do anything. God hasn't spoken. I live by his words. Yes, I have all dominion. I have all power. But I can't do anything right now. This mission, I must obey the agenda of heaven. My mind is right now on the agenda of the Father. My mind is on the will of the Father. Not my will, but yours be done. It is a total surrender. The total surrender. You see, Everything that is found in this new life, it's all a surrender. While we're leading worship, the song leader said, raise up your hands. You see, you're not, you raising up your hands doesn't really do anything. You want to know something that the Lord always whispers in my ears every time we go into worship? He's not impressed. God is not impressed. In fact, the moment you start to think that you've done something and you start to puff, 
that you've done something. Two things. The first is, you are setting yourself up for a great humbling. No, 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 no. This is, this is serious. You are setting yourself up for a great humbling. And number two, recognize that everything in this, in, in this body, in this new life, everything is performed, is executed by the Spirit of the Lord. It's all a surrender. The holiness. You see something? If you are saying in yourself that you want to live a holy life, that you would do it, but you might for one week not do what we call sin. But when you are tired, you know whether you could, you could do it or not. The ministry, every single thing is executed by the spirit of the living God. That's why the number one thing he desires is for you to recognize that if that life was okay, he wouldn't have come to die. If we could have lived a holy life, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have found that need to sacrifice himself. But he knew we couldn't do it. So it requires a surrender. It requires a recognition that you can't and you will never be able to in yourself. That is why he gives himself. So the service, the obedience, the Christian life, those debates of is it possible to live a holy, all that is answered in just surrendering to him and laying it all down to him. And recognizing that by each moment, following him, he will accomplish it. See, Jesus did something. When he was here on earth, for the first three and a half years... The one thing he did with his disciples was he spent that time emptying them. He was preparing them for the coming of his spirit. Think about it. He emptied himself of everything that he had. And he, because he had to go through that process, we all have to go through that process. The three and a half years he spent was an emptying so that they could be ready to receive the infilling. First is the emptying, then is the infilling. That's one thing. As Christians, we have to recognize that there are, there are three lessons that we need to recognize. Three lessons from three nations. The first, we are all accustomed to. And that nation is Egypt. The nation of Egypt. Egypt was a nation that Israel willingly entered. Israel willingly entered Egypt. Do we all agree? Willingly entered Egypt. And then they became a slave to the nation they willingly entered. They were enslaved. When the Lord brought them out, it required a purging of all that Egypt had deposited in them. 
It required a virgin. As Christians, we willingly ate in Adam out of that tree in disobedience. Willingly. Now that we've been brought out, there's a requirement of an emptying of everything that we are accustomed to. There is that requirement of emptying from all that we have gotten from the land of Egypt. That's the first nation. The second nation, Babylon. Babylon was a nation that took Egypt out of its land by force. Sorry, took Israel out of its land by force. And then put them in captivity. For Egypt, if you want to survive, it requires the death of the man that goes out of Egypt. Recall, everyone who came out of Egypt died, except for Joshua and Caleb. Because they had, they already had the requirements. They had a different spirit. You need a different spirit from the spirit that you had to live the new life. Babylon requires a commitment to faithfulness. Now, what is the likelihood? What, what, does, what does Babylon liken to? It's that Christian that is caught in something he doesn't want to find himself in. Wants to live a holy life, but there is a snare that has taken him. He doesn't want to be there, but there is that snare. But the good thing about Babylon is, by making a commitment and surrounding yourself with the right friends, you overcome. That is why Daniel and his inner circle overcame Babylon. Now, the last nation is the most terrible of all. And this nation is a destroyer. That is the nation of Rome. Rome was living. He didn't say, I'm going to take you out. No. Rome came and stayed in Israel. Cohabited with Israel. If you don't touch me, I won't touch you. But at the end of the day, Rome destroyed Israel, destroyed the temple of God, removed every brick by brick, every stone on which that temple was built was removed. Here is the analogy. Rome is that Christian that has accepted sin as normal. That has said, it's okay to live in this environment. It doesn't harm me. I am good with it. I'm okay with it. I promise you, as today lives forever, it will destroy you. It is not a prayer. It is the truth. It is not a prayer. It is the truth. If there is anything that is cohabiting with you, that is not of the Lord, Today is the day 
Right now is the, the time to surrender it to the power of the Holy Ghost. Because that thing is a destroyer. It will say it can live with you, but it will destroy. Righteousness upholds a nation, but sin is a reproach to a people. It will destroy. It will destroy. You see, we all are ministers of the gospel. Like it or not, we are ministers of the kingdom. We are ministers of the gospel. And what that really means, don't let the word minister because we use it as titles. Don't let it, it is that we all are servants of the kingdom. And servants of the king. Yes, in his family, we are his children. In his family, we are his children. What is in his kingdom? We are his servants. We serve his purposes. And we do his will. When he calls us his sons, he's saying, you are my children in my family. But when it's time for the rule and the reign, he doesn't play with justice. He said an unbalanced scale is an abomination before the Lord. Jesus has paid it all. He has done all that is required. But the time is right for you to make a decision whether you are saved or not saved. Now is the time to surrender. Now is the time to recognize that you can't do it on your own. Now is the time to recognize that you need the power and the unction from above. When Moses was giving instruction to anoint, when he was giving instruction to anoint, he said, don't let the oil touch the flesh because the oil must not touch the flesh. So they always had to put on linen clothes. He would never anoint foolishness. He would never anoint wickedness. He would never anoint the flesh. The flesh is not, in our analogy, the flesh is not the body. Can you give me just two more minutes? The flesh is not the body. The flesh is that old nature. The flesh is, your body is not evil. Your body, God created, your, your body is not evil. Your body is not the flesh. The flesh is the old man. The man who is selfish, the man who wants to, who wants to dominate and rule, the man who wants to show himself or herself. That is the flesh. And he would, if you want to, 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 to move your agenda, even in your homes, because we men are guilty of it, even in their homes, you want to move an agenda. Is it the Lord that is leading, or is it pride or your, yourself that you want to enforce that? Yes, I'm, I'm the king of this home, I'm the king of the jungle. Let's, let's move to uh, Romans. Romans chapter. Eight. And I'll try to end with this. Romans chapter 8 verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. 
or fleshly minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is at enmity. It was against God. For it is not subject to the law of God. Nor indeed can be. Is your body at war against God? The carnal mind is at war against God. The Adamic mind, the first man, the first Adam mind, is at war against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. That is why if you see an unregenerate person, someone who is not born again, don't try to convince them because they don't have the ability. It requires that new nature. That new nature. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Point to yourself and say, I am not in the flesh. I am in the spirit. Now, if you are born again, that's true. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. I've got to stop here for a moment. If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. In other words, your body cannot produce that which it used to. If Christ totally dwells in you, it's no longer you utilizing or energizing your body. It is the spirit of God that is motivating you. That is why we speak so much about death to self. Once that is... How many of us... The only way I can explain this is if you have two live wires, two live wires, the engineers here, have they tried to put two live wires in the house, connect it together and touch itself? How many people know what, know what will happen? You have two live wires and you touch itself. What will happen? Now, what I'm trying to say is this. You have, you have a source of life in one thing. And then you are trying to touch it with another thing that has a sort of source of life. What will happen? Instant death. Instant judgment. That's why you'd see when someone was bringing strange fire into the temple of God. What happened? God gave instant judgment to them. The sons of Aaron, when they brought in strange fire, God gave him instant judgment to make matters worse. You know what God told, what God told uh, Aaron? You must not mourn for them. Can you imagine? For you to be doing the, the procession and you are not mourning for your own sons. He said you must not mourn for, because they came and they burnt strange fire. When you bring two sources of different types of life into the kingdom of God, God brings instant judgment. But then, if Christ is in you, it means that life that used to be at work in your body it no longer exists. So your body is dead to sin. And the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if that spirit that raised Christ from the dead also dwells in your mortal body, it shall give life to your mortal body. So that law that was once at work in your body no longer exists, but the law of God at work in your body, energizing you 
to do the will of the Father and to accomplish the kingdom mandate of spreading the light, the life, the truth, and the glory of God. The life, the light, and the truth, the glory of God. Everything is to bring light, life, truth, and glory to God. Life, light, truth, and glory to God. I promised I was going to end here. My prayer is this. That the Lord, who is God, who rules and reigns in the affairs of men, that he shall be the one that shall strengthen you to do all that he desires to accomplish. Because he is faithful to the end. Forever faithful to the end. Forever faithful to the end. Can we rise up on our feet, please?